0: This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.
1: The milk is sour. I've barely been to college and I've been doubtful of all that I've dreamed of. The brink of my existence essentially is a comedy. The gap in my teeth and all that I can cling to. The milk is out.
2: Shalala, oom oom, shalala, oom
1: shalala, oom oom, shalala. Ooh, ooh, shalala. The milk is sour with olives on my thumbs, and all that I've stuck to and all that I've clung to, I've thought like a dog. This world that I've trusted has been over and busted and rusted by an arbitrary grand
2: Shalala.
1: I'm gonna start a garden in my backyard. I'm gonna start a garden in my backyard. Cause making this song up is just as hard. Cause making this song up is just as hard. Ooh,
2: ooh shalala, ooh, ooh, shalala. Ooh, shalala, ooh, ooh, shalala. Shalala, shalala,
3: shalala, shalala, shalala. You're listening to The Electric Sheep Film Show on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is Resonance's bi-monthly show about cult films, world cinema, and everything in between. You've just heard Oom Shalala" by Hayley Hainderick, and all of this episode's music choices are are by guest curator Kieran Gillen, a comic book writer famous for such hits as The Wicked and the Divine and Phonogram, as well as runs on comics such as Star Wars, Journey into Mystery and X-Men. Today's show is a celebration of Sci-Fi London, the London Science Fiction and International Fantastic Film Festival, which takes place every spring. And so in today's programme, you'll hear a couple of Q&As that I recorded on stage with directors of movies that premiered at Sci-Fi London just after a screening of each film in front of a live audience, as well as an interview recorded off-screen in the green room with one of the visiting filmmakers. The latter is actor and producer Joseph Graham, who in the second half of today's show We'll be talking about his surrealist suburban comedy, Nothing Really Happens. And before that, you'll hear about the new dystopian German film Hidden Reserves and the parallel universes thriller Alpha Gateway. Let's start off then with Alpha Gateway, directed by John V. Soto, which tells the tale of scientists who have developed a way of travelling between different parallel worlds, leading to unsavoury characters from alternate worlds turning up in our reality and a desperate chase to try and get them home before they do any further damage. So there's an awful lot going on in that film, um, fear of, I guess, militaristic societies, the whole kind of history of parallel world sci-fi. What was your um, starting point for coming up with this?
4: My starting point was I um, uh, uh, co-wrote the script with a uh, writer uh, called Michael White. Michael's a um, very experienced novelist. He, he's 40 odd books, and uh, he saw my film Needle about four years ago. And he wanted to work, always wanted to catch up and work together on something. And so, over the course of um, I don't know, six or seven afternoons, having coffee and, and talking about pitching ideas, sci fi ideas back and forth, mm-hmm. we initially were looking at doing a time travel movie, but there's just so many of them, you know, there's just so much more place. You know, when you've got films like Looper, um, and you have know, you know, the original with Primer, and there's so many time travel movies we thought it's going to be done to death. And we want to do something that, um, that was original and, and could be expanded upon later. Mm. And so we actually almost simultaneously came up with the idea it was about synchronicity. He, he was looking into the multiverse, and I had to stumble upon some parallel world thing. And next thing you know, we're pitching the same idea back and forth, and that was the, that was the
2: spitting
4: seat of the idea. Mm. Um,
3: Obviously when you have actors who are playing similar parts but from parallel worlds, uh, that must be quite complicated in terms of like explaining their motivation. Be quite similar to the way you
4: were in the other scene would be a bit more evil. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. That was really hard. Um, Like, you know, we shot that film in 20 days, which is pretty quick. Mm. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, because we're using the same location, um, for instance with Matt, played uh, by Miles Pollard, he would be good at that in yeah. one scene that we might shoot for like, you know, an hour and a half. Then it's like, oh, I know we need to do you know, scene 59 in the script. So we'll shoot it at the same location, just regress it. OK, now you're bad, Matt. OK, shoot that scene. And then two hours later, oh, no, we've got to shoot the other scene, scene 64. You're good now, so you to go back and go, And, and actually started doing everyone's heads in, because they are like, hang hey, on, is he good now or bad now? The script. Yeah, so it was, it was actually really difficult, um, but credit to Miles Pollack, he knew where his character was in, in each time he was shooting. Mm. Um, actors like backstory,
3: even if it's not in the plot. So did they come up with their own ideas of what had gone wrong in the
4: parallel world? Uh, they did, and I mean, Jacqueline's performance in this was pretty amazing, I think. Um, she's like the heart and soul of the movie. And, um, yeah, so I had to, you know, she kind of, kind of interrogates you about the script and wants to know the last thing in your mind about the script. Um, and then, luckily, Michael and I really thought the characters through. And we'd like to, you know, um, work out what she would... Why was she doing it? How long has she been doing this research? It's like five years. There's little t- bits of information that sort of feed in the story. But yeah, you have to sit down with the actors and spend a lot of time developing the backstory so then the characters feel grounded. Mm.
3: Um, Australia is quite famous for a couple of its soap operas. Um, and I was kind of surprised. That I was expecting a line like, uh, you know, as bad Matt was accumula- uh, acclimatising. She might have said to him, "Well, look, grow a beard, and we'll pretend that you're your cousin." Or
4: something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. I guess, um, yeah, no, we like Australia is known; it is known for a lot of soapies. Mm. and it's not really known for science fiction. Well, indeed. Uh, I mean, there's now Max, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I think but it's more exploitation, rather Os- kind of like yeah, it's like. more horror. Yeah. Um, well, now I made a horror film, myself actually. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. Sci-fi in Australia is rare, so um, it was just really, yeah, it's exciting to do something fresh. Mm. One of your previous films,
3: uh, one best movie at the Independent British uh, Film Festival, does that
4: help in terms of getting funding for uh, ongoing projects? Yeah, it does, yeah. So you have, like, you have a track record, um, and the thing we have in Australia, which is really good, we have fantastic um, film centres, mm. so... Um, i see you CEO, <laughs> Um yeah, We have fantastic crewman So in Australia we can get uh, 40% of the budget um, from the government, they'll give us that. Mm. If your budget's just, say your budget's a million dollars, the government's going to give you $400,000 towards that. Mm. And then if you get a distributor, say $50,000, a sales agent puts you $50,000, you have got half your budget, mm. some investors in there, and we're lucky we had a Chinese company owner of this Chinese company loves science fiction, mm. um, and, yeah, they decided to put in to sort of close the film.
3: Nice. Um, you said uh, at the beginning, uh, when we were talking about developing the idea further, are you hoping this will be a hit and you can go into a trilogy where we see all sorts of parallel worlds?
4: Well, I'd love to, yeah. I kind of touched on that with, uh, with the end scene with Matt, because he's in, like, we call him the maze world, but he doesn't come back from that. He's done. <laughs> 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 But <clears throat> the question is, you know, is she, you know, is Rick right? Has she actually gone to the wrong parallel world mm. and rescued the wrong kids? Mm. Um, that, that's kind of, I, I don't want to answer that. I'm leaving that open for you audience to figure out. we have got to watch the film a few more times. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'd like to do, I mean, the idea would be, would be really cool to do, like, a TV series. Mm. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, I... I uh, I know in the US, because this film's released in the US, um, it's gone on about 40 platforms, because we were were selected for the Austin Revolution Festival and uh, Boston Sci Fi Festival. So the film's done really well over there, and hopefully um, we make enough money that we can do a sequel. Nice. (laughs) <laughs> Bring it here! <laughs> <laughs> love to. Yeah,
3: Sci-Fi London 20. Um, does anyone in the audience have any questions? Oh, loads, okay. Um, well, we'll start with uh, Dave, then you can have the mic. <clears throat> and Sal, it's not the usual one. Um, More common when she first goes to his world, outside there's a black
5: car, and there's a BMW, and I thought, oh my god, it's the standard pro World
4: War Two went the other way and that's what I call <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the military world. Yeah. So um, and you may have noticed that uh, all the characters are wearing uniforms. So when when Red Reg sees her for the first time in the World Two, he's like, with a uniform? So they're they're developing technology for war, and that's why I mean the idea that we, you know is a joke Michael, Michael and I were following. Trump's will. Any other questions? Um, uh, Well,
3: no, the mic's within (laughs) reach. Is it actually working? Sorry, I wanted to know at the beginning, it's not. At the beginning of the film, uh, it's at the end, and then the rest of the film is flashback. Yes. So was that always the intention in the screenplay, or did
4: you do that in the end? Uh, that was in the edit. Yeah. Um, what happened with some distributors, they're like, oh, we, we don't understand the genre of the film because it takes a while before it kicks into this, the sci fi sort of adventure or thriller. So, uh, and also there was a, a sense of it just took a little bit too long. If you take out the very opening little scene, it takes a little long to get into the action. So we thought, no, we'll, we'll just cut a little bit out and create a question in the people's mind. Like, they're watching it, they'll know the genre, So do they just see, you know, is it cloning, maybe? Um, so they know it's science fiction, and then something cool happening, coming up, and it kind of just sort of holds the audience in there for the rest of the film. There was one in this part of the world? Do you actually believe in parallel worlds? <laughs> I do, and in fact, um, Michael... There, is, there Michael, is a reason why I asked that. Okay, okay. If you believe in parallel
3: parallel worlds, there's a strong belief at the moment that the Earth is now flat.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. That's if a... the Earth is flat, then it disproves parallel worlds <laughs> because you can't escape it. Exactly. That's a loopy, a loopy theory. Um, no, I do believe in it, and I tell you who else does: um, Neil deGrasse Tyson and um, uh, the, the, the English um, physician, the um, physicist. Hawking's, he believes in that, so he's saying no. It's, he believes it's actually a real thing. Yeah. Well, one of the ideas was that, uh, and Mark and I discussed this, was that um, she does go back to another parallel world to find her kids, and uh, Matt's abducted them and, take, and and to another parallel world. So she's got to follow him through
2: different parallel worlds to
4: get the kids. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there must
4: have been something really clever That's to still. let us know which world they're in then Yeah, I yeah. know, exactly <laughs> the sequel to this film what else are you working on? Next? Okay um, I am working on a script called Imprint which is a um, like a murder mystery involving uh, cloning so it's about um, a young kid that discovers that he's, he keeps having nightmares of being drowned and finds out that um, he's a clone of a scientist who had been drowned and he start to re- starts to remember the faces of the people that drowned him. So then he goes on this quest to find a pregnant of justice. So that's the imprint.
3: How did he get to the maze world? Because throughout the film they were going from box to box to box.
4: Agreed. Yeah, yeah, good question. So the maze world, this is, uh, again, high concept. Uh, maze world is, um, that actually is a teleport box. That's bad, that. That world is like a prison world, and that's where all bad people go um, from other parallel worlds. And that's that, Those um, yeah, those uh, boxes have their own little teleport facility. It's also sort of built into the walls. And um, and she switched it to 400 petawatts. You may have noticed on the screen it was 350, and she just pushed it right up to 400. And she didn't plan that. It's just she's just setting them off somewhere. And we went through about, 30, we had like 30 different ideas. We were actually thinking, was thinking of putting in back of the dinosaurs. <laughs> but, but we thought something called cool, like a maze that. Uh,
6: why are you using better watts? That's quite a large amount of energy.
4: It's a huge amount of energy.
6: Yeah, we know. It's we
2: know. more like microwaves or fridges,
6: but that's like 100 watts maybe. That's like more than I'm, 100 megawatts. Better yeah. yeah. thousands <laughs> megawatts. Oh, it's a huge amount. Yeah,
4: totally. We, we, the thing, and that was Michael's idea was that it had to be a significant amount of um, power, which is why red keeps going, "You're going to blow the grid. You're going to blow the grid." And where that office is situated wasn't really explained in the film, but it's actually next to a power station in real life. Yeah. Uh, are you worried about the carbon footprint of this? <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd have to
3: ask. Um, <laughs> any, any other questions? <laughs> and so the scientist
0: that you keep referring to in the film, because I don't
4: know who it is, is he a real person? Techmark is, yeah, Max Techmark. was he a consultant on the film? Uh, no, we just read his theories. So, so what is the Level 2 world? Because I want to go there in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Max, yeah, Max Techmark has got, there are various levels of parallel worlds. and uh, Level 2 is off-limits. Yeah, it's off-limits. It's basically where so there's one and three. Level two is um, the laws of physics are different. Ooh. So Can we yeah, go there see... possibly we could do a TV series. That'd be nice. Any others? <laughs> By the way, did everyone enjoy the score, the music? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was uh, a friend of mine, Thomas Rouch. He's a composer in Victoria, and uh, he spent he probably spent um, a good six months working on that on the music and the mix. The sound mix was done by a guy called Christian Scallum, who mixed one of your films, um, Elizabeth. So he was the sound mixer on that, and uh, he decided to be involved in this. And the guy that graded the film, so he, the actual, obviously had, um, my DOP, David LeMay shot the film, and then we have a guy who does the colorization and the grade of the film, and that's a guy called Billy Weichel, and he graded, Lord of the Rings. So I was really lucky that the people I managed to pull in into the project. Um, you mentioned a moment ago about the uh quite close to a power station. Was there anything else that you'd have liked to include uh that they've got cut? You know? Oh, uh, the actual original cut of the film was two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So this is a one and a half hours. So we cut out a lot. Right. There was a lot of stuff that we cut out. Um, quite, quite a few scenes. It's just um, you know, audiences now, I would have liked a longer cut actually, but um, audiences have a, 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 a lower threshold for um, slowing down action. They just want action. I think it's like the MTV, MTV generation or the YouTube generation. They want it fast. So our our, just, our sales agent is like, now you've got to cut it more, cut it more, cut it more, cut it more. Have you seen The Hobbit? I went grey watching.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, no, I think that, I love anything Peter Jackson does, you know, we love his his work, um, but I just felt that, yeah, it, was a, it didn't feel a bit stretched, because it was, um, it was rather than, The Lord of the Rings obviously it was a trilogy of books, but it was just one book, and I stretched it into three films. Any other questions? No worries, thanks guys, thank you for having me. Okay.
3: Alpha Gateway, directed by John V. Sotto, is available now to rent or buy on Amazon Prime. Rental costs £4.50, and an HD download of the film costs a tenner, or the movie is free for all Amazon Prime subscribers. To put you in the mood for our next film, which is Hidden Reserves, a new German dystopian movie, and my Q&A with the director Valentin Hitz, here's Die Young by Sylvan Esso.
1: swiftly Maybe in a fire or crash All oh, for really People would weep How tragic so early
5: I was gonna die young
1: I contend with the living blues I couldn't miss it
3: Coming up next is my Q&A with director Valentin Hitz about his new German dystopian movie set in a world where corporations are dictating everyone's rights which premiered at Sci-Fi London 2018 and is available now on DVD in Germany. It's weird. It's a film that's both kind of retro. It kind of speaks to those Cold War film noir thrillers but also seems very modern. Um, Thinking about things like the way Russian hackers have influenced, you know, our feelings in the West. Uh, the way that insurance is becoming something that people worry about in terms of, you know, their longevity as life spans extend. Are those the kind of things that you were thinking of when you were planning this movie? Yes, of course. It, it, it's somehow this
6: this uh, need for security, some, which which is. Uh, dominating our, all of our lives, meanwhile, I think that was one point, but th- there was one thought which is, uh, I think, is the origin for Hidden Reserves. Uh, it's the, the idea of not being permitted to die. Mm. And, um, and this idea, because it's, it's on several levels, on one level it is this uh, mankind's dream of eternal life, but from a negative perspective, mm. On the other hand, it it somehow uh, describes uh, a process which is interrupted, uh, Mm -hmm. not being allowed to die. And then on another level, even, uh, um, it somehow implies an authority which is uh, deciding over life and death. Mm -hmm. And uh, in other times, uh, there would have been gods or one individual god deciding or being this authority and uh, with hidden reserves uh, we try to ask this the question, what could this authority be nowadays? Is it still human or it, 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 is it still gods or one god or is it human or a group of uh, having interests or economic interests mm-hmm. or, or is it just an algorithm, uh, computer program telling you that you're, you're
3: worth living or you are allowed to die. Mm. Well, and also the increasing corporatization of society, that our lives are no longer run, uh, you know, by, even by countries. It's these multinational uh, corporations that answer to no one. And I don't know if you saw, there was this documentary that came out about 15 years ago, The Corporation, which was looking into the way that. In terms of the legal system, corporations have uh, the status of a human being, but if you were to analyze a corporation by its activities, you would analyze them as being a psychopath. <laughs> 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 I didn't
6: know. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Seems, yeah.
3: yeah. I can agree with that yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, Thinking of the aesthetics of the film, like I said, it, it does feel very much like a Cold War thriller in order to kind of evoke that atmosphere presumably the location scouting was very important to all those kind of brutalist buildings that you used as backdrops Yes, um, there was
6: quite a lot of location scouting but it was uh, the production, the, the designer itself who found quite a lot of the locations and I had some of them I had in mind writing it already um, and, and one of uh, I mean the the corporation uh, office it, it's 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 a library in Berlin yeah. which uh, uh, it's a building from early uh, 21st century built by a Swiss architect uh, named Max Dudler which some compare with Speer, <laughs> so uh, yeah. uh, coming back to the Brutalist, or even somewhere else. Uh, but and, and on the other hand, it's of course it's uh, the 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 work we did with the, with the director of photography because we somehow I asked him to if we find an aesthetic um, which is of course a color film, but uh, people going out thinking of uh, having watched uh, a Black and Black movie, so this is a, again this uh, retro style,
3: mm. a kind of uh, mm. a and, and it's interesting as well, your lead actress, um, she's quite androgynous, in a way that also seems to suggest that the society has almost leached the sexuality out of people as well, that the only way she can actually express her femininity is in like an illegal club. And then outside, it's almost like she can barely be a woman because it's a society where you have to be a cog in a machine and if you're anything beyond that, you don't fit. That's a
6: very interesting aspect. I didn't thought of it this way, but of course I was looking for a, a, a femininity which is has its androgyny mm. in it somehow. And to not Because somehow she... she uh, she opens up a new world for, to him, mm. and, and not only as a, as a woman uh, unbuttoning her clothes, or, or, but really showing him what could uh, this other world, not making career, but mm. thinking of emotions or something like that, uh, be
3: or, or mean. Mm. And equally then, when we see him naked, we see that he has tattoos. So when he has clothes on... He's another corporate drone who's identical to everyone else, and it's only through intimacy you can see actually there is some personality that's being covered up.
6: Yes, that, that was the question. Uh, some of the tattoos were his uh, own. Some uh, we applied on, on, on his body because we were thinking of how much is he just a soldier of the system or of this corporation, and how much is it really um, the story of. His life, or, or part uh, of of some pictures, which are, which remembering him or uh, of his life. Yeah. But but for me, it is a little bit a personal life. But on the other side, it's also the soldier like mm. And meanwhile, many many art that would, you know, Yeah, and, yeah. So it is also it has this soldier thing in it.
3: Um, for all of the reasons we discussed in terms of the corporatization of society, of retirement ages going up and up and up, um, and also things like the rise of Trump and populism, um, it feels that this is an ideal time to be making dystopian movies, but at the same time, you think a film like that offers hope because in a way, it suggests it could be this much worse, so maybe you know go out and have a good time.) <laughs> Yes, but on
6: the other hand, I have to say, I mean, I think or I heard, and uh, that there are more utopian movies coming up.
2: Oh, really? Yes, <laughs> okay.
6: because uh, probably because the present is so dark. No, but uh, but I think there is a certain hope in it here uh, in the end, because uh, he's uh, carrying on her spirit in the end, and so there is there is a hope uh, that. Uh, individuals, at least, can be changed, if not the whole system, at least individuals. And, and he somehow carries on her spirit. And and there is, I mean, hidden reserves, the German title is Stiebe Reserve, and I think it means the same. It's, it, it's kind of... Um, uh, it... it it means, or it grasps, uh, that that uh, a certain amount of money doesn't appear in the uh, balance uh, list of a corporation. But for me, of course, uh, it was more important to have this association of hidden reserves, as there is uh, an, uh, a reserve hidden uh, for emotion or love, or to think more of more than just of a career. <coughs>
3: Or if we would sell our kidneys for profit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for bringing us on to Side <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. Hidden Reserves, otherwise known as Stilreserven, is available now on DVD in Germany and to buy from amazon.co.uk. Search for S T I L L E R E S E R V E N to find the German name for Hidden Reserves and the DVD comes with English subtitles and is well worth a watch. In the second half of today's show, I'm talking to the producer and actor Joseph Graham about the new American indie film Nothing Really Happens, a surrealist comedy set in suburbia, which in its own way is as disturbing and life-questioning as such movies as Brazil and The Matrix, but done in a classic American indie style. To put you in the mood for a bit of soul-searching and life identity on the outskirts of Houston, here's You're So Cool by Jonathan Bree.
2: And
1: solace in the privilege to pursue. Most people are crushed into servitude.
3: talking to Joseph Graham, producer and one of the stars of Nothing Really Happens, uh, which screened last night at Sci-Fi London, the London International Science Fiction Fantastic Film Festival. It was a really intriguing film. Um, It's always bad to compare a film to other people's work, um, but it's what everyone does. So when I tweeted about it last night, I said, um, it's like The Matrix, directed by Kevin Smith, or slackers directed by david lynch were, th- were those any of the kind of influences you i have guys- not
0: heard that but that is amazing i really I, I like that so much the matrix directed by kevin smith that's yeah that's right on <laughs> <laughs> about the same budget of clerks it's yeah and the, the same
3: kind of uh well, not quite filthy humor, but awkward humor for sure. <laughs> I was eavesdropping on you talking in the foyer last night, and you were saying to someone that when you read the script, you were kind of like astonished that's the direction it had taken. There wasn't that much collaboration then until the final version <laughs> arrived in your hands.
0: Well, yeah, Justin Petty, the writer-director, he he wrote basically a short at first. and mm. it, Yeah, but I read it, and I was like, I like this. I like the weird kind of sensibilities of it and the comedy of it but I was like it doesn't really feel like it has an ending Mm. or a complete story I guess Mm. so I was like write like another day because at first it was just one day of this man's life then everything was very boring but strange and then he wrote another day and then I was like this is still missing some pieces so I got a little longer and then and then we were both like this is a pretty good thing but it's like 50 pages so (laughs) let's maybe bring in like another character and like come up with some more plot, actually? Let's start a plot. Hey, let's get crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, yeah, we uh, we kind of worked on it for a few more months and uh, we're like, I guess we could just shoot this. Like, <laughs> no one, yeah. We sent it off to a few film festivals that read scripts and whatnot, but nobody really responded very <laughs> positively. And we were like, this isn't very complicated.
3: <laughs> Maybe we can shoot this. Mm. Well, it's funny. I mean, the whole idea of what is a mainstream script and what is an indie script script you think these days those kind of lines were a bit blurred but I guess everyone is so still concerned with how um, something might make money that there's still a lot of aversion to risk taking
0: yeah I mean the the business of film is, is very weird right now in the sense that like you know you have all your Hollywood movies that are getting increasingly about toy sales mm-hmm. and then your indie movies are all moving on to like you know uh, like Amazons and kind of weirder avenues so uh, the indie scenes I don't know, it's I don't even know what's going on so we're trying to jump into it regardless we, yeah. it would be nice to to make something that made money but at this point it's just like let's do exactly what we want to do because <laughs> we're gonna have to live with this thing for two or three years or however long it, it took us probably four four years to make this movie but okay. from the time of writing to to maybe the end of post or oh. maybe the maybe the first cut but yeah uh, if you're gonna work on something Without you know anybody funding you, you better like what you're doing. Mm. Otherwise, you're gonna kill
3: yourself. Well, there was a there's a credit right at the end of the uh, the credits roll, which says something like, "and this is dedicated to the Texan <laughs> festival who told us that our movie would." Yeah, the... <laughs> I, I don't remember who that guy's name was or what his
0: movies were, but we were sitting at a round table at uh, uh, at uh, yeah, I won't even say the festival, but we were <laughs> we were chit chatting with this guy, and we were like. We have this script and like we want to shoot it for like nothing, like no money. We'll just use like jump change, and he was like, "That's not a movie." And we were like, "That's a movie. I mean, like <laughs> it's a movie, not necessarily <laughs> one that will have an audience or be, or uh, you know, play a lot of or <laughs> make you know make money essentially, but
3: you know, it's still a film." Mm. You said that. Originally, Joe wrote uh, the first day and then you suggested he write the second. The opening credits of the movie are literally halfway through the film, which I don't think I've ever seen before. (laughs) So is that actually separating the first half of the script and the second half?
0: It kind of, yeah. uh, I feel like the... yeah, like at some point that may have been the whole movie. I, I'm blanking exactly. I mm. feel like yeah, a lot of the plot stuff came in later because I kept asking him why this was happening mm. to it, to him. I was like Justin, like why why is he like this? We got to figure out why and then we'll get something sort of resolved. Like mm. not, it doesn't have to be you know we don't have to hand it to the audience, but something we got to show something. And that's that actually the original name of the thing was called the uh, mm. unfinished puzzles. Mm. So, at some point, I was joking with them because I was like, nothing really happens in this movie. (laughs) And then we just kept saying that so many times that it became like our joke. And then the thing with the middle credits yeah, maybe a little bit to do with that, but there's a Japanese movie called Love Exposure that's like a four four or five hour movie. Okay. And they don't do their credits till like an hour and a half into the movie. It's a fantastic film, but it's like a religious epic about an upskirt photographer. It's it's, as absurd as it sounds, but. They did it in that movie, and I was like, I think that would work really well for this movie, so it sort of separates the day, obviously, and then, like, kind of the style of storytelling, I would say.
3: Okay. Because I think the only time that I'd seen before was, um, there's a series on Netflix called uh, The OA, and in the first episode of that... The opening credits occur yeah. like 10 minutes before the end. People have recommended yeah. that, but
0: I, I haven't it's seen good. it. sounds good. But. but
3: almost like that just introduces the concept, and then you get to the point where the story begins. Right. And there's yeah. only 10 <laughs> minutes left.
0: <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much the same, though.
3: <laughs> I read a couple of your web comics uh, online today. One of which is a photo comic about uh, it's a sort of riff on the island of Doctor Moreau with uh, zebras and um
0: oh the uh, the ostrich
3: an ostrich ears. That's not
0: even me. That's oh, uh, really? that's okay. uh my my co-writer co-creator of Monomania. Okay made uh made that and i and i i encouraged him to do so because he sent me like a few things but yeah i that's mostly michael como out there if you're if, you're, if anybody's interested okay. i don't even i can't even remember the name of it because he did it so long ago but it is weird yeah <laughs> yeah definitely
3: <laughs> um and, and the other is a kind of dystopian vaguely superheroic Sci fi drama all about wars over water where it's becoming a, uh, a scarce resource. And, right. and you've got kind of vigilantes saying, No, you need to recycle water. If you're going to pee, keep the pee. <laughs> uh, you wrote that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Me and, uh, me and Mike co wrote that one and uh, I guess created it. Neither of us are artists. Uh, the guy Jeff Sebesta, who now lives in Kentucky, we met him at some point And yeah, we just, we've been doing that for two, three years, I guess. About to come up with the second one, I mm. think, pretty soon. Hopefully over the summer or in the fall. But yeah, it's, a, it's, it's. I don't know how to describe it. It's a weird tone. It's like taking sort of environmental issues and sort mm. of uh, con- even like a lot of conspiracy theory ideas, but then adding like wrestling on top, <laughs> like American style, like Ric Flair style, like silliness. And then mm. it just, it's very, it's very weird. There's a talking monkeys. So.
3: so in terms of being a creator, of being a storyteller, you worked in film you've worked in comics is it whatever media kind of suits the story that you want to tell yeah uh, I mean, obviously movies take a little yeah, bit <laughs>
0: yeah exactly <laughs> like we had I had a ri- initially written a script for what was then called water bonnaming mm. uh which, which is now monomania we wrote it as a script as a movie script like just for fun but i was like there's no way we could ever make this like mm. i have no idea where to start it's just really really crazy and like, too many strange things going on. And I was like, I guess we could try to do a comic. I don't I don't know much about it, but we started really looking into it a little bit. Michael actually reads more comics than I do, but I was mm. like, let me catch up. I'll try <laughs> my best. Certainly when you're not being funded fully uh, and you want to do something really crazy, graphic novels are uh, mm. a route to go. And maybe, you know, my hope is that, like, someone's like, this is awesome. And I would be like, yeah, let's make a cartoon. <laughs> or a cartoon movie or something. I don't know. I think it would be great for like Adult Swim or something
3: like that. Mm. Well, certainly at this kind of historical moment in time, it seems like studios are just buying up any comic they possibly can for adaptation.
0: Right. If we, get, if we could get like a massive
3: following, that would be great. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> we could but, just do that forever. So at this festival, you know, you've been uh, mingling with, I guess, fairly devout sci-fi fans who are quite happy to watch relatively obscure things and... Like the literature side as well but obviously having made a comic presumably you've also taken that to independent comic cons to sell it have you you know met comic fans through that route as well
0: yeah i mean we, we've done a few shows around texas mostly we haven't mm. we haven't breached outside of it yet but you know it's coming along it's a we kind of took a little bit of a break because uh, one of the artists moved away and he had a kid and stuff so it was like a little bit of a gap but uh things are fully rolling now as far as fans like i am outmatched. like i said i don't i didn't grow up reading a lot of comics i read mm. a few here and there like but yeah I, I we go to comic book shows and i'm like mike i don't know how to talk to people about like whatever
3: Batman and wolverine got a fun right i don't know
0: like about how wolverine or where does it hulk tore apart Wolverine at like, in some comic in the 90s. So you do like, know that. Yeah, okay, well, I only it. know that because <laughs> someone told me about it. I have not read that
3: book. <laughs> in terms of kind of like your inspiration for things, I mean, you were the producer on Nothing Really Happened, so obviously you had conversations <laughs> about the direction of the movie. I mean, it seems to be tapping into that kind of David Lynch vibe of the kind of hidden darkness and the hidden sur- surreality that goes on in Suburbia. Were those the sort of starting points?
0: I don't know that he's terribly... Influ- I don't know what his influences are. So no, I'm just kidding. It was probably more... Um, there's this movie called Wrong that's from this French director, and I'm going to blank on his name, but he's Mr. Oizo. Mr. Oizo is his like musician's name, oh, okay, and then I'm blanking okay. on his name, huh. but he has this great movie called Wrong, and he has this like really hmm. bizarre style, and it's very absurdist, so it maybe hmm. very French. <laughs> I think that might be where there's like a little bit of a French element going on in the movie. But yeah, I think it, it was very influenced by that, and then yeah, I don't, I don't know that he was really trying to, you know, be scathing towards suburbia or anything. I mm. think he just is in it. Yeah. <laughs> so he wanted to sort of be commenting on it from a, I don't know. I, I, when I read it initially, I was just like,
3: are you high? <laughs> but yeah. But certainly, I guess then in terms of. The theme of the film is kind of how do you get out of the rut that you're in if you don't feel like you have a personality or any ability to have a conversation, and that seems to tap into similar concerns with what's on screen in The Matrix. You know that in that Keanu Reeves is given the option of I love do you to stay into <laughs> the matrix? Well, you know, <laughs> it makes it makes me a flower. <laughs> uh, are you going to stick, you know, with your dull office job that you hate, or are you going to kind of wake up to the real world, which might actually be horrific, but at least it'll be different? Which seems to be kind of one of the themes of this movie.
0: Well, I think there's some of that. I think what what Justin, like, I think what he was trying to say is that if you're living this kind of lifestyle it's very monotonous and, like, it's very boring, seemingly, like, it's not necessarily the worst thing. Like, maybe it kind of can make you happy, but you have to maybe realize that and maybe it takes something insane happening to your life for you to accept that you are like this and that, mm. that is what makes you happy. But, yeah, initially when the character starts out, it's actually like he might have been... I don't want to give too much away, but he, <laughs> he may already be sort of involved in the plot that comes later. I'll just okay. keep it yeah, more yeah. vague. But, yeah, I think it's uh, maybe self-acceptance in a, in a okay. way.
3: And deprogramming, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means in terms of modern-day culture.
0: <laughs> right, he, he definitely steps outside of his, his life and is able to, like... Look at it objectively, as mm. opposed to like sort of being stuck in the day to day. The thing is that I don't think he makes a lot of big changes, which mm. I think is maybe a faux pas as far as like mm. script writing, maybe. But we well. were like, you know, like this character doesn't have a huge arc; it has like one, but then it kind of comes back to where he was initially a little bit, but maybe not. I don't know.
3: Well, there's an Alan Moore comic called uh, Promethea. and in that the comic, you know, was heralded as it will end with the apocalypse. And everyone was like, "Oh gosh, it'll you know be an explosive end of the world." But actually, he was thinking in terms of just revelation that everyone wakes up one morning with a greater realization of what their life is and what their life means. And so, in that sense, they wake up to a new world, but only because their perspective has changed. Oh, yeah, I like that. I, have
0: to, I have to pick that one up. I, I I probably only read the Watchman or Watchmen. <laughs> But yeah, that sounds good. Yes, yeah, kind of in that vein.
3: And in terms of the latex woman's suit, when did that come up in conversation? Uh,
0: You know, initially it was written just as an old woman character. Mm. It wasn't. This is adding plot elements to it. Initially, it was just kind of a weird, weird character that was like floating around, taking (laughs) people's neighborhood. (laughs) But at some point, we decided through conversation, it was like, what if? it was that character being that character and sure. sort of that, what would that mean if the, that character was disguising himself as an old woman? I was like, mm. that's pretty good. Let's, let's try that. But then <laughs> we had a lot of conversations as well about like how we do that. Would we have an actual old woman mm. play this and then be like really silly where it was like, you know, you mission take impossible. off a mass mission. Exactly. Yeah. Like mission impossible where it's like an actual person playing and until. The moment they reveal mm. themselves, but yeah, we ended up going with like probably the biggest prop of it. The most the most expensive thing we or the biggest expense of the movie was this like yeah pretty heavy latex mask and mm. shooting uh in like July or August of H- in Houston Texas outside wow. and
3: running around like a madman it was uh, a <laughs> a little overwhelming okay yeah. but I, I mean you know as a, as a member of the audience when that character first appeared when the old woman first appeared I did think. Is this a man? You know, <laughs> but it didn't seem to be dealing with you know kind of any sort of trans issues, but more the sort of shift of identity that the whole film seems to be about. Right, so. I, I think is he, the person you've met really the person you think they are?
0: Yeah, I think he's doing it to sort of bring up a point about that you're you know you're going to die and that you know you should be living your life. fully or more like I at least think I'm living my life Mm. (laughs) like that the the Carl character is a little delusional obviously Mm. but yeah I think it's he's obviously a little crazy but yeah he's just bringing it up I think to to talk about old age with Mm. with Dave who uh, clearly is just living day to day
3: in terms of the shoot itself you said it took a number of years to make the movie as a whole but the actual shooting, was that done in a fairly a short period of time, or was it scattered over a number of years? It
0: was scattered over the course of probably maybe a year, for okay. maybe a year and a half. Okay. Uh, yeah, we mostly did it on weekends and, like, weeknights, because all, the, the, well, all of us, well, some of us during that time were working, you know, regular jobs, but, mm. yeah, you know, over the course of a year and a half, and then... Uh, or maybe it was like a year and then we chopped it up and we had like an edit and it was like, it's not good enough, let's add like some more scenes because I think people are going to be too confused. Mm. And so we started rewriting a little bit and then added a few scenes and then, yeah, so probably, yeah, a year and a half. I like, okay.
3: So I guess as a producer then you also had to keep an eye on continuity because if you're shooting over a number of months... I mean, yeah. I guess, you know, the, um, <laughs> the the climate in Texas is probably more temperate throughout the year. It's, you know, yeah, it's, it's not going to be snowing, for example. Well, yeah, <laughs> we don't
0: have to deal with snow. It's just it's rain and, and rain and heat, really. The rain was surprising to me because, like, I felt like I knew Houston, but when you're trying to shoot stuff and it just is randomly raining again, it's like... I, I thought it was always dry here and you know what I think it was is like when I first moved there it we went through a uh, like a drought for like three or four years and It was like never rains here it's great but then yeah it, it seems like every, it seemed like every shoot that we did outside it rained at least a little bit or the
3: threat of rain was around so it was just about avoiding water and getting all your stuff wet in terms of the future of this film have you spoken to distributors are you going to try and get it in more festivals
0: uh, yeah we're, well this is kind of the beginning so we're, we're still out for several festivals so we're hoping that it uh, plays through I guess most of them are in the fall so we're hoping to play a few more in the fall and do a premiere there and then I don't know about distribution, but that would be great if somebody wanted to buy it or wanted to distribute <laughs> it. But uh, we'll put it out in some way, and it's. Re- I really think it's just going to fund the next thing, which uh, we're kicking around some ideas and some some uh, basic script ideas. Because
3: mm. there's a mention on your website about a short film as well about dogs.
0: Oh yeah, uh, dogs the do last. That's just. Uh, it was just something to kind of stay. You know, filmmaking is a muscle, and you've mm. got to keep uh keep it uh moving but um yeah it's just something we shot a couple months ago but i don't know what we're gonna do with it exactly but it's done <laughs> <laughs> we had a delorean it was real cool fantastic it was fantastic. mostly just kind of uh two characters talking about something so okay yeah it does, less.
3: But, but you uh, know special edition dvd you can yeah, put the feature around on the there. short <laughs> 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 well, no. cool thank you very much cool thank you Joseph Graham's film, Nothing Really Happens, is still looking for a distributor. And you can find more about the movie, including clips and the trailer, by going to nothingreallyhappens.com. You can find more about the filmmakers by going to themonstercloset.tv, which features all their various film and comic book projects. And for their webcomic, Monomania, please go to monomaniathecomic.com. All of today's Q&As and interviews were recorded at Sci-Fi London, the annual science fiction and fantastic film festival, which takes place every May. This year, Sci-Fi London is taking place between the 15th and the 22nd of May at the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square and Stratford Picture House in East London. For more information, please go to sci-fi-london.com. And a film that premiered at the 2012 Sci Fi London Festival, Cycle, is now available to download for free from Vimeo. And to find that film, please go to vimeo.com/cycle the movie and is well worth a watch. Another classic sci-fi film, Alien, is being screened in South London as part of the Screen 25 initiative on Friday, the 1st of February, in South Norwood. For more information about this screening at Harris Academy, which is taking place at 7.45 on the 1st of February, please go to screen25.com and click on What's On. You can find all previous episodes of the Electric Sheep Film Show by going to electricsheepmagazine.co.uk events. And the Electric Sheep Film Show will be back on the third Wednesday in March. I'd like to thank comic book writer Kieran Gillen for curating all the music tracks in this month's episode, and the four tracks that you've heard by Haley Hendrick, Sylvan Esso, and Jonathan Bree. not to mention our closing track by Madge, were taken from his top 40 tracks released in 2018 in the second half of that chart. Tracks taken from numbers 1 to 20 in his top 40 will be featured in the next Electric Sheep film show. So to close... Here's another one of Kieran's chosen tracks, Fight or Flight Club, by Match. Thanks for listening.
0: program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.